scripture reading this morning comes out of Hebrews five twelve through fourteen. Hebrews five twelve through fourteen. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we consider it a great privilege to be able to come before you this morning to offer up our prayer and our petitions. Father, it's such a great uh, privilege to come before the creator of, of everything that we see and to know that we can have such an intimate relationship with you, to the one who created us, uh, to created all of this, but yet one who knows each of us Personally, you know our joys, our sorrows, our strengths, our weaknesses. Uh, you know the challenges that we face, and we know that you love us. And we know that you loved us so much, Father, that you sent your only Son to die for us. Father, we pray that you will be with us, Father, and help us to be convicted this morning. Help us to be willing to show the love that we need to have, to show the love that you've had for us with others. Fathers, we sit here this morning, no doubt we know, each of us know someone who has yet to name your name, the name of your son. Help us to be ashamed, Father, if we have not made the effort to share the hope that we have with them. Father, help us to be bold and relentless in our efforts to share that good news. Help us to be gentle in our delivery so that that love will be made manifest in our lives. Father, we're grateful for everything that you do for us. We're grateful for the opportunities that you've given us throughout our life. We're so thankful for the country that we live in, Father. We pray for our country. Things always don't always go so well, Father, but we understand that you're still in control. We pray that we will always keep our eyes on the cross and remember what we're supposed to be doing. And we will always have a deep and abiding love for each other as we gather here as a body of Christ. And that love will always prevail regardless of what goes on around us. Father, as we uh, go through this service, we pray that you will help us to... uh, Put everything else out of our minds and remember why we're here today. That's to worship you. 
And as we approach the time when we partake of this memorial feast this morning, we pray that you'll help us to, each individually as we sit here, put on humility and approach this feast with humility just as Christ displayed so much humility in his life. Be sober-minded as we remember what he did for us. Father, we're so grateful for your grace and for your mercy and for for your forgiveness. And we're grateful that you pick us up when we fall and that you're with us every step of the way. Go with us through this service, Father. We pray that you will walk with us each day. Help us to encourage someone along the way and be the kind of example that we need to be, not only in this community, but wherever we go. And that someone will be influenced by the way we behave, by the way we talk, by our actions, and to your glory may that be. Thank you for your son, in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to mark our invitation song following Andy's lesson today, it'll be number 674. There's a great day coming, number 674. Now, before Andy comes to speak to us, let's sing number 664, There Stands a Rock, number 664. Will you stand, please, if you can and will? There stands a rock on shores of time That rears to him its head sublime That rock is cleft and they are blessed Who die within this cleft are rest Some build their hopes on the ever-drifting sand Some on their fame or their treasures or their land Minds on the rock that forever shall stand Jesus, the rock of ages, that rocks across its arms outspread, celestial glory base its head to its firm base by all I bring, and to the cross of ages cling. Some build their hopes on the ever-drifting sand, some on their fame, or their treasures, or their land. Minds on the rock that forever shall stand. Jesus, the rock of ages. That rock's a tower whose lofty height illumined with heaven's unclouded light. Oh, why is its gate beneath the dome? Where saints find rest with Christ at home. Some build their hopes on the ever-drifting sand. Some on their fame or their treasures or their land. Minds on the rock that shall ever stand. Jesus, the rock of ages. Some build their hopes on the ever-drifting sand. 
some on their fame or their treasure or their land minds on the rock that shall ever shall stand Jesus the rock of ages be seated please Good morning. Good to see you. Hope that you have had a great weekend and a good start to uh, this week. Thank you so much for being here with us. What a wonderful pleasure it is to, to gather together with the family here at JA and worship our God. If you're visiting with us today, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking the time uh, out of your day. You could have been a lot of other places, anywhere else, uh, but you came here to worship God. and We are thankful that you are here. Uh, if you have some time after services, we'd love for, to have a few minutes of your time to get to know you a little bit better, uh, see if there's anything that we can do to help you or that you can do to help us as we travel towards heaven. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? Maybe it was literally on top of a mountain. Maybe I know uh, the, the camp that's here local that our kids go to, Short Mountain Bible Camp, and I went there this past summer, and it's literally on the side of a mountain. Uh, have you had a, a mountaintop experience like that? But maybe it wasn't necessarily on, on top of a mountain, but you just had some experience, some, some time. Maybe it was spiritually related. Maybe it wasn't spiritually related. Uh, and you just had this, this experience, this time, this encouragement, this challenge, what, whatever it was. But you, uh, in that moment, and, and maybe even after that moment, years later, you remember and you come back to and you uh, think about the things that happened during that time. Maybe it was something that really challenged you, really pumped you up, really encouraged you. In the Bible, one experience like that that a lot of people have was the Sermon on the Mount. They may not have had a mountaintop experience, but they had a Sermon on the Mount moment. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Let's set the scene for this just a little bit as we think about moving from Capernaum to Calvary today. Matthew chapter 4, we'll start in verse 23. This is setting up right before the Sermon on the Mount begins in chapter 5. It says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demonics, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. In verse 25, large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Everybody that heard about Jesus wanted to be with Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he had sat down, His disciples, those who followed him and those who wanted to follow him, those who wanted to know more about him, they came to him. And we know the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, is some of the most powerful teaching in all of the Bible. Uh, It's the the longest sermon that Jesus preaches that we have recorded. Really, in some ways, one of the only sermons uh, that we have that Jesus preaches. We have a lot of him talking and having conversations with people. But in such a setting as maybe these pictures are are scrolling through, uh, you you can see the, the, the beautiful setting. This would be in and around Capernaum. Uh, which is on the northern border of the the Sea of Galilee. And and scenes like this would have been where the Sermon on the Mount took place. How beautiful is that place? How beautiful would it have been to to, to be there in, in a setting like that, with a speaker like Jesus, and a sermon like the Sermon on the Mount, we can understand why at the end of the sermon it says that they were amazed by His teaching. 
They were amazed by the way that he taught. He taught with authority. They were amazed by him. And at the end of that lesson, don't you know that those multitudes, those thousands of people, a lot of them, maybe all of them said something that you might have said when you were at camp or something that you might have said when uh, an impactful sermon was given or someone taught you the Bible or, or some sort of mountaintop spiritual experience happened to you. No doubt, many of them said, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. You've said that, whether you've said that out loud, those words exactly, you've said or, or thought that thought. I want to be with Jesus. That, that idea or that mindset or that, that even that phrase maybe is a result sometimes of what we may refer to as mountaintop experiences or those spiritual highs that we have sometimes. I, I know I want to be with Jesus. I know and I believe that you do too. But today I want us to think about and consider that we have to understand that our desire to be with Jesus must go beyond wanting to avoid punishment for our sins. Uh, yes, it must go beyond wanting to go to heaven rather than going to hell. Certainly, we want to go to heaven rather than going to hell. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. We understand that. But, but our following of Jesus should grow beyond simply a desire to go to heaven rather than hell. Instead, we have to grasp and struggle with and wrestle with the idea that if we want to be with Jesus for eternity, we need to be with him every day, even now. We must be his disciple. We must be a Christian. We must be true followers of Christ. And the New Testament, in the passage that was read to us earlier in Hebrews chapter 5, the New Testament in other places as well, makes it clear that an ongoing maturity is a part of this journey. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6, and let's kind of continue that passage that was read to us earlier. Hebrews chapter 6. Is, remember, it says in, there in chapter 5 that uh, especially those, those Hebrews, those Jews that this was written to, but, but I think a lot of times in the New Testament when it's talking about Hebrews, uh, it's talking about Jewish people, people who have known God for a long time. Today, 2,000 years later, the church has been around for 2,000 years. Many times that relates to us as Christians. Some of you have been Christians for, for decades upon decades upon decades, Right? And so it says to those Jews who throughout uh, the centuries had known about God and their, their great, 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 great grandparents knew and it went all the way down the line. He says, by now you ought to be teachers, but you can't be because you're, you're not ready yet. And then he goes on in chapter 6 and he says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, spiritual maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. All right, verses uh, 3 through 5. He's talking about a lot of great things, but if I were to, to sum it up in, in, in just a simple idea, what he's talking about is, is once you've become a Christian, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you've experienced all the blessings that it goes along with being a Christian, but then it says in verse 6, and then have fallen away. Once people have become a Christian and, and they have uh, you know, experienced the beginnings of everything that it is to be a Christian, they've been a, a part of the Christian family, they've grown in all kinds of ways, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they have again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Let me present this idea to you. 
That the idea of, of falling away here, the idea of someone who's a Christian, who's enjoyed and experienced and, and been blessed by being a Christian, maybe in, certainly in spiritual ways, maybe even in physical ways, certainly in relationship ways, the lack of an ongoing maturity, the lack of an ongoing, never-ending spiritual maturity is the reason why many Christians, despite experiencing many blessings of being a Christian, a lack of an ongoing maturity is why many Christians fall away. Why many Christians don't continue to grow. Why many Christians struggle with their faith. So what we want to think about this morning is what does Christian maturity look like? What does Christian maturity look like? Clearly, there's the idea that it's more than just being baptized. It's more than just beginning the journey. Because baptism into Christ for the remission of our sin is just beginning the journey. And we've got to leave that mountaintop experience that we probably had at baptism or that led to our baptism, our commitment, our becoming a Christian. And we've got to go off and continue to spiritually mature down this road, down this way that is sometimes narrow and oftentimes difficult. What does spiritual maturity look like? Three questions. Is spiritual maturity based on what we know? Is spiritual maturity, <clears throat> excuse me, based on our knowledge? Well, Scripture talks about that in great detail and talks about the importance of our knowledge. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, 31 and 32. I've got a lot of Scriptures today. I'm going to reference a lot of them, read a lot of them. Uh, if you can turn with me, that would be fantastic. Certainly write these things down. If you have questions about it, let, let me know your questions. But is our spiritual maturity, is an ongoing spiritual maturity based on what we know? Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 30 and 31, 31 and 32, a familiar passage to many of us. He says, if you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine. All right, well, that's important. When we hear the word disciples, and when Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to do this, uh, light should be going off in our brain. Okay, Jesus says, this is what my disciples, what my followers do. And what does he say? If you continue in my word, then you're really, you're truly, you're honestly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So it's not just that knowledge allows us to know more about God and to therefore be his be Jesus disciples but there is a benefit to it we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free what does truth set us free from well the quickest and easiest answer is it sets us free from sin and that's true that's right and we need to appreciate that but even more than that it sets us free from worldly ways because it gives us a compass it gives us a map it gives us whatever idea you want to use to, to give us a direction that when the world says you should do this or you should, should do this or we push you this way or push you that way we know where God wants us to go and if we're going to be his disciples if I'm following Jesus I know where I need to go so that gives me an excuse it gives me a reason it gives me a purpose to say no I'm not going to do that does anybody else like me have a hard time saying no sometimes I have a hard time saying no sometimes e- even to even to, to, to bad ideas sometimes I have a hard time saying no but if I, if I know what I'm doing, and I know who I'm following, and I know what his word is, I know the truth, the truth sets me free and allows me, at least in my mind, and many times even verbally, to say, no, I'm not going to do that. So is knowledge important? Certainly it is. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, God says about his people, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We have to know about God. And the only way you're going to know about God is by studying his word. I know that's the, that's the easy Bible class answer that you have heard throughout your life. Hey, you need to read your Bible, you need to read your Bible, you need to read your Bible. But guess what? You need to read your Bible. You know why? Not so that you can say, hey, I've read the Bible from front to back. 
but because everything we need to know about life and godliness is within these pages. We've got to study God's word. Romans chapter 10 and verse 2, talking about the, uh, his fellow Jews, Paul says, they have a zeal, they are zealous, they are excited, they are, uh, they are all in for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And in other passages in Romans, he says, and they, they have completely missed the boat. And why do they miss the boat? Why do they miss Jesus? Because they have a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. Our knowledge is definitely necessary. A knowledge of God is ne- definitely necessary. But is Christian maturity based on our knowledge of God or even knowledge of the Scripture? Knowledge is necessary. But application matters as well. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 24, He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them or does them, he'll be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You see that knowledge is definitely important. We can't deny that. We can't get around that. We need to study God's word. We need to talk about God's word with one another. We don't just need to study it independently, though there's value there, but we need to have spiritual conversations about what does God's word say. We need to grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus. But application matters too. So secondly, is spiritual maturity based on or measured by what we do. Clearly, this is the most observable, right? I can look at you, I can watch you, and while I may not be doing it, you know that there certainly are other people who are doing it. Our children are doing it, our spouses are doing it, our friends are doing it, our co-workers are doing it, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are, are watching us, and they're looking at what does this person do? We know James talks about the importance of faith and works, If we take James chapter 2 and verse 20 and James chapter 2 and verse 26, we can come to this conclusion. Faith without works is both useless and ultimately leads to death. Listen, if you're a Christian and you you know all kinds of things, you have all kinds of faith, but you don't put those things into action, James says you're worthless as a Christian. You're worthless for God. You're not doing anything good for Him. And ultimately, it'll lead to death. Ultimately, you will lose your relationship with God because knowledge without application is worthless. It's meaningless. It's not that you have lost value. It's that you're not placing value in what you know about God. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Again, Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Right before the passage we just read about the wise and foolish builders. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23, here a list of, of things that people are going to say to God, perhaps on Judgment Day, or, or perhaps they're, they're placing their hope and their trust in these things. Does spiritual maturity, is spiritual maturity measured by the things that we do, our actions? Look at this list. Jesus says in Matthew 7, starting verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Then look at this. Look at this list. And you have to be impressed by this list, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, perhaps the judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. Now, I don't know about your list of deeds. I don't know about your uh, accomplishments that you could list before God. But, but I doubt many of you could claim miracles. None of you can I doubt many of you could, could claim that you cast out demons. None of us could. I doubt many of us could say that we prophesied in the miraculous sense that first century Christians could. 
And we say, if, if those people that can do those things, and, and that's, their, that's their stat sheet, and notice what Jesus says in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, all these, these people who did all these amazing things, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Do our actions measure our spiritual maturity? Certainly our actions are important because faith without works is useless, it's dead. But if these people who perform miracles and cast out demons and prophesied in Jesus' name, if they aren't going to be saved, what hope do we have to be saved by our works? That's what Ephesians chapter 2 teaches, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, again, a familiar passage. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. I want to try to simplify that. And in an effort to simplify that, it's going to make some of us uncomfortable. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But I want you to stick with me. I want you to trust that you know who I am. And if you have questions about what I'm about to say, come to me afterwards. But I want you to hear this. We're saved by grace through faith, not according to our works. But we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's a summation of that. Our works have nothing to do with saving us. And everything to do with us being saved. There is no work that I can do that will save me. But because I am saved, I work. And if I miss that second part, if I'm not working, if I'm not living my life in a response to God's grace through my life and my works, then I have missed the boat. So do our actions, do our works, do the things that we do, does that measure our spiritual maturity, perhaps in some ways? But what about our motivation? What about our motivation? Obedience certainly is better than disobedience, but does obedience alone, is obedience alone enough? Does it matter why I do the things I do? Is the why important? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, probably a passage that if you were here for Bible class, you, you looked at this morning because we were talking about love, and 1 Corinthians 13 is the, the passage on love. But notice what he says at the beginning, before it gets to the, the beautiful wedding uh, verses that we often use, love is patient, love is kind, etc. Notice what he says in the first few verses. Again, similar to what Jesus says about those people who perform amazing things, they do amazing things, but they weren't in a right relationship with Jesus, with God. Notice what he says In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and following. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and have all knowledge and and, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I, I surrender my body to be burned, but don't have love, it profits me nothing. What, what is Paul trying to say? I mean, again, that list, giving my body to be burned, giving all of my possessions to feed the poor, having such faith as to remove mountains, th- these amazing things. But he says, but if you do these things without love, if your why isn't driven by because you love God and love others, You're not really accomplishing a whole lot. People might notice you like they notice a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But you're not really accomplishing much. Does the why, does our motivation matter? Certainly we would say that it is. It does. Is Christian maturity seen in the knowledge that I have of God? 
Is it seen in the things that I do for God? What about the motivation for serving God? My answer to each of those questions is yes and no. You see, I don't think that the... I'm afraid that the answer to the question of what is Christian maturity just isn't that simple. It's hard to put your finger on this is Christian maturity. And maybe that's why we struggle with being mature Christians. Because we're not exactly sure what that means. Does that mean I need to study the Bible more? Does that mean my prayer life needs to be better? Does that mean I need to go out and serve in the community more? Does that mean this? Does that mean this? And we, we wonder sometimes. If there's a passage that helps me understand the approach that I need to take in order to gain and grow and continually grow in my maturity as a Christian, it's Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Philippians chapter 2. Let's read verses 3 through 8. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Again, a familiar passage that you've heard before, uh, that you've heard many sermons on before, but let's consider it again. What does Christian maturity look like? And let me remind you again, as I've said before, it's an ongoing Christian maturity. You will never achieve complete Christian maturity until you're in heaven with God. It's an ongoing Christian maturity. So no matter how young you are in your faith, how old you are in your faith, and how mature you are in your faith, you're not done. You're not complete. Philippians chapter 2, let's read verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he has emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What does Christian maturity look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. And I want to be with Jesus. And I know you want to be with Jesus. And he says, have this attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. Now listen, again, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. It goes on there. As I was reading that, did that describe you? If not, then we've got some maturing to do. And I would dare say that it didn't describe any of us all the time. It might describe some of us sometimes. Here's, here's where this lesson came from. How is today, how is this morning, this worship service, this Sunday, this Lord's Day, when we come together as God's people, how is today not just going to be another mountaintop experience that, that in the end may not make a whole lot of differences, a whole lot of difference? You see, I, I think that most Sundays... Most Sundays, I mean, you can disagree with me about this if you want to. We're commanded to come together on the first day of the week. It's the Lord's Day. We need to come together to worship God. It's an important thing to do. But in my experience as a Christian, most Sundays are a great pick-me-up, a great shot in the arm at the beginning of the week that by tomorrow afternoon won't have made a whole lot of difference in my spiritual life. So what do we do to make sure today isn't like that? What do we do to make sure that today isn't like that? And here, here's where it came from. Here's, here's where I came up, wanted to talk about this. Last week we had a great day, didn't we? Willie Franklin was here and he shared a great passage of scripture from us from Ephesians chapter 4. And he had some fantastic stories and his energy was contagious. But, but even in the midst of him, of him speaking, I was thinking, is this going to make a difference in the lives of the members at JA? We had a great meal together. We enjoyed some wonderful fellowship. 
and, I, and I, I'm afraid, and it's not unique to J.A., I'm afraid that the church enjoys Sundays. They're good days. But they don't make a whole lot of difference in our Mondays or Tuesdays. How's today not going to be another mountaintop experience that we enjoy? We have a good time. We feel motivated. But then by tomorrow, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. Maybe another way to think about it is, do mountaintop experiences really help us mature as Christians? I think they play their role in Christian maturity. Uh, Certainly Sundays do. Again, we're commanded to do this. We're commanded to come together and to remember and and commemorate the the Lord's death until he comes again. I think camp is a special thing. I love camp. I've been going to camp for a long time. I'm on a a board of a Bible camp in South Carolina. I, I love camp. I think it's a wonderful thing. I think that special events like our Super Sunday last week and, and, and gospel meetings and vacation Bible schools and all of those things, I think they play a role. But again, I'd say that practically most Sundays serve as a good pick-me-up at the start of the week that by tomorrow afternoon won't have made much difference in our lives. I want to be with Jesus. Do you want to be with Jesus? I want to be with Jesus at Capernaum on the top of that beautiful mountain. When he's preaching and it's powerful and he's challenging us and we leave there and we, and we, we are amazed by his teaching, I want to be with Jesus. But I also want to be with Jesus at Calvary. And following Jesus leads us both places. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, again it says, be found, He being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How badly do you want to be with Jesus? Because following Jesus leads us to the cross. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 says, If anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I want to slow down here because I'm I'm easy to read this one fast. I know you know it. We sing a song about it and the song we sing is super fast, but I want you to listen to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to be with Jesus. But many times when we think about dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, not getting what we want, not living how we would choose, but instead living for God every single day and every single decision and every single relationship. We say, I want to be with Jesus, but not there. Not in that way. This is a challenge to me as much as it is to you. If I am dying daily to myself and following after Jesus in the words that I say, the places that I go, the way I treat other people, and in all things I'm trying to please God, I will need Sundays. When's the last time, and only you can answer this for yourself, when's the last time you needed Sunday? Not just say, we're going to church on Sunday because that's what we do as a family. When's the last time you needed to be here? Desperately. Not only to worship God, but also to replenish your soul. Because the previous week, You've been dying daily to yourself with the words that you say, the actions that you take, the way that you treat people, and how you live your life in all things trying to please God. When's the last time you needed Sunday? 
I'll need Christians. If I'm living this way, I'll need Christians in my life every day that will lift me up and challenge me and hold me accountable and allow me to do the same for them. You see, the reality is Christianity was never meant to be a solely Sunday-centered religion. Sunday is important. It's the Lord's day. It's the day on which our Jesus resurrected from the grave. Amen. And we praise God for that. But Jesus did not die or raise from the grave so that we would worship him and serve him and love him only on Sundays or Wednesdays. But every day. And that means the church needs to be interacting and together, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but every day. Because the reality is, and you know it in the very same way that I know it in my life, that if I'm really honestly giving it all up for Jesus, I will desperately need you in my life every day. And if you're not there, then I will not truly live my life for Jesus in everything. It will be too easy for me to just go back to the ways of the world. It will be too easy for me to just do what I want to do, even though I know what God wants me to do. I need to be held accountable. I need to be challenged. I need to be encouraged. And I need to be able to do that for you as well. Sundays are commanded. Sundays are important. But if we live the life every day like we're really supposed to be, Sundays would be special. See, Jesus didn't, say, didn't stay on the Mount of Beatitudes, the place where the Sermon on the Mount was given. No, he went back down into the valley. He got his hands dirty. He dealt with difficult people. He touched the unclean, and he had hard conversations with those that he loved. And he carried our sins up another hill, the hill that led to Calvary. And he asked us to do the very same thing. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow after me. Here's a fourfold challenge for you this week. Number one, deny yourself. Literally, I want you to think about a very practical way that you can deny yourself. Maybe it's a temptation that comes your way. Maybe it's that same temptation that always comes your way. Deny yourself. Overcome that temptation and and don't give in to that sin. Set your priorities right. Maybe there are multiple things that you could do, but you're going to make sure that you deny yourself and you do what God would want you to do. Maybe there's a physical want that wouldn't even be a bad thing. Wouldn't even be a bad thing for you to do. There's a physical desire, a, a monetary desire, a worldly desire that necessarily wouldn't be a sinful thing. Deny yourself that this week. Practice denying yourself. Number two, do for others. See needs and meet needs. Remember what Philippians chapter 2 said? Don't look out for your own personal interests, but look out for the interests of others. Consider them as more important than yourselves. Again, we do that for people that we love. We do that for people we interact with a lot. Jesus never says, do that for people you like a lot. He says, do it for everybody. Do for others. Maybe replace the desires, your desire for the things that you want and the things you're denying yourself. Maybe take that time that you would have given in to whatever that is and instead do for others. Number three, when someone, if you do that, if you do that second one, if you will do for others, see needs and meet needs, there is no doubt that likely you will be asked, why are you doing this? If and when that happens, simply say this, I'm trying to be more like Jesus. Where would that statement lead to if you had that statement with someone? 
I'm just trying to be more like Jesus, and that's why I'm doing this for you. And number four, pray for the church. We've got a great God to serve and a lot of work to do. Pray for the church. Pray for not just Jefferson Avenue, not just the church worldwide, but pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, This morning, today, man, there are people in this auditorium who are going through any number of things. Sickness, struggle, depression, sadness, disappointment, excitement, wonderful things. All of us are in different places this morning. But I believe you're here because someone loves you. If you're visiting with us this morning, I believe you're here because there's a Christian who loves you. But even if that's not the case, I know you're here because there's a God who loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. A son that was in heaven, the place we're all trying to get, left that place to come to this crummy old earth that we've made crummy because of our sin. He lived a life, he died a death, he rose again, and he gives us the hope of heaven. He died for us so that we would live for him. Christians, are you doing that? I'll ask for your prayers for me. I want to live more like Jesus every day. I want to be with Jesus at Capernaum and at Calvary, and ultimately in heaven. And I know that each of us could say the very same thing. But this morning, if there's something you're struggling with and you need our help, we want you to know that the Jefferson Avenue congregation, not just our shepherds, not just our deacons, not just the ministry team, but this congregation, this family of God is here for you. And if you want to let us know what you need, we want to help you in whatever ways we can. You can do that by coming forward in just a minute, or you can just let us know at another time. Uh, If you're not a Christian this morning, there's a God who loves you, who came and died for you so that you could have the hope of heaven. If you want to know more about him, we want to show you in God's word everything that we need to know about him. If you're ready to become a Christian, if you're ready to follow Jesus, if you believe that he's the resurrected son of God, you'll confess that with your mouth. Name him as your Lord. Repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ and begin that journey of maturity, walking towards heaven. We're ready to help you in that way too. If you have any needs, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.